And and some important areas, I think, are things we've touched on. So diet is is a very important area. Mm-hmm. One of the you know triggers of autoimmunity and and the, something that triggers the immune response is what you put in your gut. Most of your immune system is in your gut. So anything that goes through there is going to have an impact. Hi, I am Jacqueline Steele and welcome to Self-Discovery. Howard Thurman so beautifully wrote, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Coming alive. That, my friends, is what self-discovery is all about. I am so privileged to have on the show today, Dr. Mark Ryan. He's an herbalist. He is somebody who practices functional medicine, you know, Chinese medicine, and you are an expert on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Thank you so much for being here today. I am again, thank you for having me. Oh, anytime, anytime, anytime. So before we begin, can you give us a little synopsis of what Hashimoto's is and some of the symptoms that often accompany it? And the reason I ask that is I feel like over the last year in 2020, people are at home, people are realizing how sick they feel, how icky they feel. So what might be some symptoms that people could look out for to go, hey, you really should go get your hormones checked? Great question. Yeah, so Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. And what that means is, for whatever reason, your body loses um, its ability to um, what we call self to have self tolerance, and your immune system starts to attack your thyroid. And it's a progressive disease. So there could be, you could be at various stages of. you know, exposure to that. And that can look very differently in different stages. So for some people early on, you can have uh, hyper symptoms, sometimes the inflammation of the thyroid. There's my dog. Don't worry about it. I have dogs too. I can edit anything out. So sometimes the um, infl- inflammation of the thyroid can cause uh your own thyroid to produce more thyroid hormones. So you can actually develop hyper symptoms, but for most people, eventually it winds up being hypo. And what that means is, you know, your thyroid controls the metabolism of your body. So everything essentially slows down. So the most common symptoms are fatigue, um, brain fog and, and cognitive, uh, issues like memory problems or concentration issues. Um, People often have trouble losing weight. Like normally they would be, you know, wouldn't be gaining weight as, as they do. And all of a sudden they start putting weight on and they can't seem to, to lose it. Um, hair loss is another common symptom, brittle nails, dry skin, um, what have you. So these are all common symptoms of hypothyroidism. And then also longer term, because the thyroid is so influential in the entire body, it can cause 
issues in basically all the major systems of the body. So it can affect the liver and, and affect cholesterol metabolism. So some people, sometimes it's like their cholesterol goes way up and it's like, what? I didn't change my diet, but that happened. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the brain is impacted. The stomach can be impacted. Stomach acid, uh, can decline. That can affect you, how you absorb things it can affect the gut. It can affect the adrenals and on and on and on. It can affect the entire body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is such a complex disease. And the more I learn about it, I love learning about it because I feel like I'm empowering my healing. But right. it can be overwhelming. Because it can be totally overwhelming once you, right, if you're just first being exposed to it and learning about it. Um, and partly too, because of the way you're feeling because of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. That fatigue and, and everything else can make yeah. it harder to like process things. Yeah, and for me, my symptoms were extreme fatigue that I thought, you know, in the beginning of that fatigue, I was like, well, you know, I'm in quarantine. I bet my body is just tired from all the years of hard work. But then I gained weight seemingly overnight. I mean, it was in like a five-day period. And that's when I knew like, some, I, I need to check this out. This is not normal. So I have your book. It is like an encyclopedia on Hashimoto's. It is fantastic. Oh, Absolutely so fantastic. And you have a cookbook too. So I'm going to link both of those in the show notes, but Actually, not a cookbook. Oh, there are, there are some recipes in it, but really it's about how to use diet strategically when you have different types of things that happen. Perfect. So it's, more, it's more about thinking about diet and, and applying different strategies mm -hmm. when things happen. Uh, I'm so glad that you clarified that. It's on my Amazon wish list. So that's something <laughs> that I'm going to be picking up next. I thought I would start with one and then go into the next one. But I have a copy. here's the, I have a copy of that one. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And I love that you speak specifically on Hashimoto. So obviously, I've had several clubhouse conversations with you. We're having a conversation now. I'm familiar with your work. But for people who are new to you, can you give us a little synopsis of why you are so committed to helping people with Hashimoto's? Yeah. Um, well, the short answer is I have Hashimoto's and one of my children also have it. Mm. So it's very personal, but it's funny. I initially... You know, I've been in practice about 20 years. So when I first started in practice, I was kind of a generalist, working as an acupuncturist, and uh, I treated a lot of different things. And then uh, I had this really big practice. Uh, it was a multidisciplinary clinic with lots of employees and and this huge space. And it was like very stressful business. But it was pretty successful for a while. But like the stress really got to me and I kind of got burned out. And I think that was one of the things that led to me actually being diagnosed with Hashimoto's. But through that period, uh, I had a couple partners and then we split up. We ended up closing the business and all that stuff happened. And then I decided to get some business training. And one of the first things I said in the business training was, what's your niche? You need a niche if you're going to be successful. I was like, geez, I don't know. I have a bunch of thyroid patients. I thought I would just, I would specialize in, in thyroid issues. And then lo and behold, I went through this whole process. And then I got diagnosed after that, after I made that oh business my decision. Goodness. <sighs> So wow, wow, yeah, wow, wow! It was it was fate. Um, so really, that's what inspired me. You know, both my my own experience with it, and then the frustrating experience of working with doctors. I've actually been diagnosed with a couple different autoimmune diseases, mm -hmm. 
And both times, really, the doctors ended up saying, well, yeah, you have the markers and yeah, you have some symptoms, but it's not really bad enough yet. So when it gets bad enough, we'll do X, you know, we'll take some action. Which if you really think about it, what that means is they're just going to let it continue to progress until it gets worse and worse until you're so bad that they have to take action, which like to me was like, well, that made no sense. No. So when I was first diagnosed, I had my antibodies were very high, but my thyroid numbers, the the other blood work was in the normal range. So the doctor didn't want to put me on medication, but I was feeling terrible. I had all the symptoms that you described. I was super fatigued. I was I had like gained about 20 pounds in bloating and inflammation. Mm -hmm. I I had terrible brain fog. I was having memory issues and forgetting people's names and things that people had known for years. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like Really, obviously, things were not going well. No, but something's not right. <laughs> right. But but I ended up leaving the doctor's office with like nothing to do, really. Um, wow. So that was sort of one of the inspirations for I have to learn about this, like the process that you went through too. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to learn about this. It's obvious that the Western medical model does not have much to offer, mm-hmm. especially in this earlier stage where it's not progressive enough for them to want to do anything. Yeah. You know, so that was that was the the first inspiration for me to really start researching and studying, and uh, you know, I spent many many years studying. Oh, and you've treated, yeah, you've treated thousands and thousands of people, and I'm so grateful to have come across your work because. I am somebody who's very much a go-getter. Like I said, I was diagnosed in August and I have been like, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? I want to get better and better and better. And my numbers now are to a point where my thyroid levels are normal. My antibodies are still slightly high, but I'm on my way. But what I'm finding is your work is the catalyst for getting me to that next level because my endocrinologist, very nice man. I have nothing bad to say about him. But when I asked him about diet, he was like, I said, should I give up gluten? Do I need to cut back on sugar? I've read this and this and this. And he said, absolutely not. There are no studies correlating changing your diet and the health of the thyroid. And I was like, that doesn't sit right with me. First of all, that's not true. But I know, I know. Lots of studies that correlate those those things. Now I know that. And now I know that. But it's from reading your work that I have derived hope that I can live a pretty normal life if I focus on managing it. I right. can't let it, ju- I can't continue to do what I was doing. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's really, I tell sometimes people freak out like, oh, I have to make all these huge changes. Well, it's not really about what you can't do, it's really more about what you can do and and it's creating a lifestyle that will support you in this process. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and it's actually pretty empowering because going from feeling fatigued all the time and going, well, maybe that's just normal. Maybe everybody feels this tired to now feeling like I have energy and I have my life back. I mean, there's nothing I wouldn't do. No changes I wouldn't make to get to that point. So I thank you so much for your work because it has affected me so deeply. And I know it's affecting so many other people positively as well. No, thank you. So you probably already know this, but most of us are not breathing properly. That is why breathwork is having such a moment in the wellness space right now. And hopefully a very long, like forever moment. 
because not breathing properly messes up our very biology. Shallow breathing can lead to heightened cortisol, sweating, increased heart rate, among other health issues. It can also increase our anxiety and lead to panic attacks. Deep breathing, on the other hand, prompts a calming response to the brain, helps to release toxins from the lungs, loosen our glorious muscles, and decrease our blood pressure. What if you could ease anxiety and breathe deeper without any kind of medications? What if you could do this with a simple product that was inspired by ancient wisdom, has scientifically proven results, is endorsed by psychiatrists, and designed by a therapist? I am so excited to introduce you to the shift by Camuso Design. I'm wearing it right now as I'm recording this, and it is a beautiful and simple necklace with an apparatus that you breathe through. And this little necklace helps you to control your breath so you can decrease your stress hormone cortisol, slow down your heartbeat, decrease blood pressure, loosen your muscles, and come back into the present moment. The shift was inspired by Kamusa monks of 17th century Japan. They used a bamboo shakuhachi flute as a healing modality and a method of attaining enlightenment. I love this. The shift also provides stress relief backed by science. You can just visit their website to see all of the amazing results that they have created. It's so simple to use. You take a deep breath and you exhale through the shift You relax, and then you repeat five more times. My husband and I both have a shift necklace, and we love them. I have the gold version. It's so gorgeous, and it goes perfectly with all my other layered necklaces. And my husband has the charcoal version, which is masculine and minimalistic. I love the weight of it. I love the way it feels around my neck. And I also love knowing that at a moment's notice, if I'm feeling a bit of stress, I can stop and breathe through this and come back into the present. It is something that I wear almost every single day, and I think it's something that you will absolutely love too. Check out this stress transforming necklace at Kamuso Design. That's K O M U S O D E S I G N. Dot com and use code Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N, for 15% off your shift necklace. Now back to the show. For this podcast episode, I generally come up with questions myself for guests, but with you, I thought, I want to ask my listeners who are so interested in hormone health, what questions they have about their thyroid and about Hashimoto's. So if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you those listener generated questions. Okay. Question number one is for someone who has been newly diagnosed with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, what tests are really important for me to have done? And can you go over what optimal thyroid levels look like? Because I think that's really confusing for people too. You know, we've got TSH and T3 and people go, what does any of this mean? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, So there's a number of different things. Normally, most doctors, even most endocrinologists will just test TSH and sometimes also T4. Mm TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. It's actually produced in the pituitary. And what happens is the body sends signals to the pituitary and the pituitary is the master endocrine gland. So it ends up interpreting those signals and then sends messages to other glands and the thyroid being one of them. Mm 
And so TSH is kind of called like an inverse marker because when you're hypothyroid or when your thyroid is, is, is functioning lower than it should be or, or not functioning up to its capacity, then TSH actually goes up. So it goes up when the thyroid goes down. And then the opposite is also true. TSH goes down when the thyroid goes up and it's producing more hormone. And it's in when it goes really down, sometimes that's an indication of things like Graves' disease, which is another autoimmune disease of the thyroid, but that results in hyperactivity of the thyroid instead of hypo. So TSH is an important test. It's helpful, but it really is tells you more about pituitary function than thyroid function necessarily, but it, it is an important, helpful test. So that absolutely has to be tested. And the range on that, there's not a great deal of agreement. Like it used to be between 0.5 and 5, which is a pretty, very wide Huge. Uh, <laughs> range. Uh, then it was the Endocrine Society, I believe, readjusted it to between 0.3 and 3. So some doctors use that old range. Some doctors use the newer one. There's what we call in the functional medicine, the, the optimal functional range is 1.8 to 3. Um, think about, I think it's a thing to remember altogether is, and I tell these people all the time, that the way you feel is actually diagnostically relevant and clinically important with regard to thyroid hormone and thyroid hormone in the tissue of your body. Because you can really feel when you don't have enough. Mm -hmm. So that's also something to remember that, okay, we look at these numbers, but what they are on paper is not necessarily what's going on with you. Because sometimes people will have enough in their bloodstream, but they still don't feel well. And they, they can be essentially functionally hypothyroid. So, mm -hmm. so it's somewhere in there between uh, 0.3 and 3 is probably the, the yeah. best way to think about it. But again, it's really relative to, to where you are and where's like your optimal range for how you feel. Then the other tests, um, I think it's important to test the antibodies. There's TPO and, and TGAB antibodies. That's uh, thyroid peroxidase and uh, thyroglobulin antibodies. Uh, some doctors don't even care about those because the reality is in the Western medical model, they don't do anything differently. Whether it's autoimmune cause or not, autoimmunity is not the only cause of hypothyroidism. There are many other potential ones, but... Um, the reality is most in the Western medical model, it's it's just you are put on thyroid hormone and that's it anyway. Mm -hmm. So for many doctors, they don't even care if you're autoimmune or not. But I think it's very important because we need to, if you establish that there's autoimmunity, then there's all these other steps we want to take. The different approach. Right. Yeah. So we want to work on that different approach. And then also, I mean, I think it's it's helpful to periodically check in on that and see where you're trending. You know, are you, were we able, if we took these interventions, like change your diet, like you were talking about, mm -hmm. if we stop having gluten and dairy and some other things, mm -hmm. does that cause the antibodies to go down? Sometimes it will. Uh, sometimes being put on medication will actually impact the level of the antibodies. So I think it's helpful periodically to check in on that, although it's not really a direct connection with how you're feeling either with the antibodies. Mm -hmm. Then uh, other tests, uh, T4 is a, a test that's not terribly helpful actually to determine tissue levels of, of thyroid hormone in the body. But what happens with the thyroid, once it's impacted by the TSH, in the pituitary send signals, here's my cat. <laughs> um, 
the the thyroid produces um, thyroid hormone. So it produces naturally about 12 parts T4 to one part T3. T3 is, is very biologically active. Mm-hmm. Um, and those uh, that thyroid hormone is bound to proteins that has to be freed uh, in order for it to work in the body. So there are tests to test all those various things. The total T4 is both bound to protein and unbound uh, T4. The total T3 is also bound to protein and unbound. And then you can also measure the free fractions, the free T3 and the free T4. And there's something else called reverse T3, which is uh, the body's way of taking that T3, which can actually, because it's so biologically active, can actually cause problems. The body has a mechanism for actually shutting it down and making it inactive, and that's called reverse T3. So depending on who you're working with, if you're working with someone who's knowledgeable, they will order more of those tests. And then, you know, with testing, the key is, know what to test, and then know what to do with the data that you get from the test. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is such a difficult, I'm so appreciative that you're talking about the importance of how you feel when your thyroid levels are off, because my experience has been, that's not really taken into consideration. And I know people talk about how important it is to be an advocate for your own health, but I feel like with thyroid disorders specifically, you really have to advocate for your health because there isn't, there is so much that is not known about it. And so many endocrinologists and even specialists are confused by it. Right. So, right. That's the other problem. Again, that's the idea of like, what's the right data and then what do you do with that data? And then, right. So that's the thing bearing in mind that how you feel is important. Then when you get a test result, you can see, you can kind of compare like, okay, is this really reflective of how I'm feeling? If I if the needle moves somehow, if the T4 goes up or if the TSH goes down or, or what have you, does that make a difference in how you feel? So that's another important consideration. It's always in the context of that that we look at these test results. Unfortunately, some doctors will just say, "Oh, you're look you're great on paper. You know your numbers are great. But what's wrong? You know, in three months, must be something you're doing. Well, no, not necessarily. There are many reasons why." Your numbers might be great, but you might not be feeling good. Like that's the way when I was first diagnosed, that's one thing I learned. And in my book, I talk about this. It's something called functional hypothyroidism. Like that, when you have thyroid hormone in your bloodstream, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's being converted properly, right? You have to take this T4. It's got to be converted into T3. It's got to be uh, transported throughout the body and, and then released into the free fraction so it can work. A lot of things can interfere with that process. So those are other things we have to be aware of that just because on paper you look great, you might not feel great because you may have problems converting thyroid hormone. You may have problems absorbing it. You may have uh, receptor resistance uh, on your cells. So there's various reasons that can cause uh, thyroid hormone to not work properly. Yeah. And there's a degree of patience required in (laughs) which is something that has been a big struggle for me because usually if I have a problem I'm like I'm an action taker I take action and I'm done with it and so this has been a learning experience but I will say in most ways a positive learning experience frustrating and humbling physically at times but I would Mm -hmm. say overall I'm learning so much about my body and my mindset and the way I approach my work Right. that overall, it's been a blessing in disguise. 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a degree of, of experimentation. We have to try things sometimes. Sometimes they'll work. Sometimes they won't work. And then, right, there's a degree of patience of like giving things time to work too. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And 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 there are a lot of things I think too that are not just about taking a pill. You know, some mm-hmm. things require changes in your behavior. Like we were talking about diet. Some dietary changes can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes other things too that are really important. Like what's your sleep cycle like and you know what's your exercise level like oh i'm so glad that you brought that up because that leads right into the next question and that's something that i have struggled with because immediately my first thought was okay i have hashimoto's how can i change my diet Mm -hmm. i did not consider well i did consider i just didn't take it nearly as seriously but how little rest i was getting and how much stress I was allowing into my life. Right. And that's so for people who are in the throes of Hashimoto's right now and just feeling so sick, what are some of your top tips for getting it under control? And is there really hope that someone can have a normal life after they've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's? So the last question, yes, I absolutely do think there's there's plenty of hope that you can turn this around. I agree. Will, will it be easy? Not always, but <laughs> but there's lots you can do. And and some important areas I think are things we've touched on. So diet is is a very important area. Mm-hmm. One of the you know triggers of autoimmunity and then something that triggers the immune response is what you put in your gut. Most of your immune system is in your gut. So anything that goes through there is going to have an impact. That's why it drives me nuts when doctors say like, oh, diet doesn't matter. Diet matters hugely when it comes to autoimmunity. Yeah. So that's important. So, I mean, I think two things easily to, to try cutting out are dairy products and gluten. Both of them are potentially problematic. Um, both can cause an immune response. Both can cause... Uh, uh, problems with absorption of thyroid hormone. So that's a step. Wow. I didn't realize it caused problems with absorption. Yeah, very often. So it can be for a number of reasons, but with, with dairy in particular, there's, there's two issues. There's lactose, which is the milk sugar. And then there's the proteins, uh, the casein and other related proteins. Those can cause, um, both can potentially cause problems with absorption. Um, and gluten also, because gluten can really impact your gut and the, the villi and the, in the, the small intestine, which um, small intestine is an important place for thyroid mm-hmm. hormone conversion and absorption. So so both of those, and often we'll see this too, people will get off of them and their their medication will start working better and they'll have to adjust the dosage because you actually improve the way it's functioning in the body. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah. I have a, I have a quick question about that. Sometimes I'm wondering if this is an autoimmune response. Sometimes when I'm feeling stressed, I get a throat tightening and I don't know if it's from mental stress or if it's from something I'm eating that is causing inflammation or stress in my body. Well, I mean, both things can cause a stress response. So foods you eat can cause an inflammatory response, which is physiologically stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, so it could be that stress itself can impact, uh, the thyroid pretty dramatically also, um, 
you know, when you're stressed, your adrenals can release cortisol. Cortisol can have an impact on insulin, can have an impact on thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an important thing to realize. Um, that's another area that's really, really important, I think, diet-wise, is your blood sugar, mm-hmm. blood sugar balance. It's, it's one of those areas that, to me, it's like a fulcrum where you can really, really have tremendous influence on uh, your your emotions and your energy levels if you just by balancing your blood sugar and, and avoiding big spikes and big crashes mm-hmm. that happens with people a lot. And that has a huge impact on um, thyroid hormone behavior and thyroid hormone conversion. Um, so that's another thing. And then sleep is also a really big thing. It's also tied in with diet and blood sugar balance and, and the thyroid, like your, your circadian rhythm is your basic natural rhythm um, can have a big impact. And, you know, today's world, we it's sometimes we lose track of how important sleep is because we have our computers we're on at night or our phones or we're watching TV or, you know, on a zoom call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, we, and that can really impact just your natural rhythms and, and that can throw a lot of things off. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so there's a few simple things that are all can be really helpful and really impactful. Yeah. I've found that the simple things have had the most impact for me mm-hmm. and just being more mindful of like not right. checking my phone all the time and not responding right away to every single message that comes in. Right. You know, I just, I, I can't. This episode of Self-Discovery is supported by Living Libations. I was turned on to this company after my Hashimoto's diagnosis. I've always, always loved clean beauty products, but Living Libations is clean on another level. I'll explain a little bit about why. Their primary ingredients are plant oils, and plant oils are botanical miracles. When oils are skillfully combined, the mosaic effect of thousands of plant compounds burst forth with an intelligence and a life force that defines every single living libation's creation. This not only makes their products extremely effective, and I can attest to that because the first night I started using them, I noticed a difference the next morning. One freaking night. But it also makes these products smell amazing, like heaven. In addition, Living Libations products are cruelty-free. They're fair trade, and almost all the products are raw, gluten-free, and vegan. I cannot say enough about this incredible company. I have so many of their products. I have their Best Skin Ever Cleansing Oil and Sea Buckthorn. I have their Rose Renewal Serum. Oh, it's heaven. I have their Soothsayer Serum. If you feel like your skin is aging, this is a perfect serum for you, the Soothsayer Serum. I have their Happy Gumdrops for healthy teeth. I have their shampoo and conditioner. I have their Frankincense toothpaste. I have their deodorant. I have their love butter. I I could go on and on and on about all the products that I have from them. And I am mindfully switching out all of my old products in exchange for Living Libations products because of the efficacy of their products, the mission behind them, and the way that the company is run, their commitment to diversity and environmental protection. Anyway, all that to say, this is a company that I 
absolutely believe in and want to continue to support. If you are feeling at all overwhelmed by all of their high quality offerings, like I was in the beginning, I recommend starting with the best skin ever in Sea Buckthorn. It smells amazing and you can cleanse and moisturize with it. Visit livinglibations.com and use code Jacqueline12 for 12% off your purchase. Livinglibations.com and Jacqueline12 for 12% off your purchase. Links are in the show notes. And now back to the episode. I would really like to hear about the way that diets, this is from a listener, mm-hmm. about the way that diets and calorie restriction can affect the thyroid, as well as the way stimulants and stimulant-based medications like ADHD meds can affect the thyroid. Okay. And I think too, what I have found in the circles of women that I've talked to with Hashimoto's, a lot of us have a history of disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty I'm included in that pool. So mm-hmm. I think that was kind of the crux of her, of her question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the issue, one of the issues with diet and autoimmunity is the, the reaction to dietary protein. That's what gluten is a dietary protein. We're talking about dairy before casein is a dietary protein. There are a number of foods actually that are what we call cross reactors that are similar enough in protein structure to gluten that you can have an adverse effect to them. And what happens with those is they end up causing an immune response. And depending on what part of your immune system is already overzealous with autoimmunity, they can trigger that to be worse. So that can be a big factor. And, you know, one of the approaches that I like is something called the autoimmune paleo diet, which is a diet that cuts out a lot of foods that are inflammatory for a a finite period of time, for usually like 30, 60 days. And one of the benefits of that exercise is you reduce all that inflammation. You let your immune system calm down and you can really get a sense. Sometimes it's a dramatic sense of like, holy cow, that, you know, what I was eating really did impact me. You know, sometimes it's nightshades. Sometimes it's, it's nuts and seeds. Sometimes it's, it is dairy or gluten. You know, there's a various number of foods that can potentially cause this immune response. So I think that's important. And part of that immune response is that we were talking earlier is inherently stressful can cause a stress response. So the second part of the question, we're looking at that stimulants, like ADHD drugs, like Ritalin and things like that, um, are going to cause, and caffeine too, really behaves similarly, is going to cause a response um, in your adrenals, going to cause a release in cortisol often or release in other uh, stress hormones like uh, epinephrine or norepinephrine. And those all, you know, the thing about the body is it, everything is connected. So when you take certain steps, like it has ripple effects beyond just the one thing that you're doing. So that that's what's, to me, that's the genius of Chinese medicine. That's what I write about in my book. I look at Western physiology. I look, also look at Chinese medicine physiology because what we learn from the ancient Chinese is that everything is connected. Your emotions are connected. Your, your mind, your thinking is connected. Your physiology is all connected. And it all influences each other. So none of these things are separate. They all have ripple effects. And for some people, it's it's it, they're really dramatic. Mm-hmm. So it's important, you know, part of what we have to do in healing is to kind of peel away the onion and and un, un, 
you know, there's all these webs of dysfunction where we have to undo all these webs and, 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 and take them apart. And, and part of this process is, is simplifying and, and reducing uh, the things that cause that are triggers and that, that cause uh, the immune response. Mm -hmm. Well, several things. I love your approach to treating people because it's so holistic and it's the web of things going on rather than just one thing. Here's a pill. Let's go. Another thing I wanted to touch on, I am going to do your paleo diet. I've started this process, but I have been a vegetarian for 10 years. And so starting to incorporate meat into my diet has been really scary, not scary, but a huge change for me. And so one of the questions that came in too was around eating meat. Is there a way to approach healing Hashimoto's without eating meat. Yeah, I do. I address that in my second book about how to use diet strategically. You can, there's definitely a, a vegetarian version of the autoimmune paleo. Um, well, that being said, I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. I, I've worked with people doing that. Um, you know, some of the protein sources for vegetarians, one of them is soy and soy can potentially be problematic with thyroid issues. So that's, you know, that's a potential. It makes it more It's it's, it's harder. It's harder, but it's definitely doable. But I mean, the other thing to think about just in a bigger sense too, that being said, is that, you know, is there a benefit to having meat and, and to being healed? Actually the author of the autoimmune paleo cookbook and her name is Mickey Trescott. Um, she was for many years a, a vegan and vegetarian, and then she is also someone who went through Hashimoto's, and then she ended up changing her diet, and then adding particular foods that are really, uh, you know, nutrient rich foods like organ meat and things like that. Which are <laughs> total opposite. That's a big, you know, sometimes a step too far. But but there's something to be said for you know good grass fed organic meat that because it is nutrient rich and particularly some of the organ meat like liver, for example, is like, it's like a, you know, living vitamin in a sense, it's full of, you know, B vitamins and, and iron and other things. Um, So I think that's part of what you have to factor in is, you know, how, how much healing needs to be done and, and is that, extra bit of nutrients, will that help you in the process? You know, what I found so interesting is for the last 10 years, have not eaten meat. And right around the time I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I started craving meat. Interesting. Hmm. It was so interesting because I have not craved it. And normally when I have cravings, it's for like an egg or peanut butter, like, like something that my body really needs, like healthy peanut butter, not like Jif. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to crave meat, I thought there's some kind of correlation here. And while I don't want to participate in concentrated animal farming or inhumane treatment of animals or anything like that, when somebody is in a position where the quality of their life has decreased so dramatically that they don't want to get out of bed or their hair is falling out or they have such brain fog that they can't focus and can't hold a job. There comes a point where I go, well, 
I, I think it might be necessary to look at this and switch up the way that I'm approaching this and be responsible right. about it and be respectful about it. Um, right. And that's in, in my second book, that's the one thing that I focus on is that, you know, things often change in the body and, you know, sometimes we have to make adaptations mm-hmm. to get better and to heal, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a, a, what you're describing is an example of that. Sometimes that step can really accelerate your healing by doing that. You know, it's, it's hard. It's sort of some, you know, some people have philosophical reasons why they don't want to eat meat. And that's, that's certainly something to be honored. And, and, you know, um, and you're right. There's like the, the commercial farming is just devastating for our planet. And for, for many of our, you know, health would be the meat, the commercial meat that's full of antibiotics and, and uh, horrible stuff, you know, other chemicals yeah. is yeah. not, is not conducive to health either. So we want to try to make healthy choices as best we can all around there. And, you know, if you have that philosophical um, commitment, then like I said, initially it's, it is possible. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that there's an option there. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you have any insight into the correlation between the throat chakra and thyroid conditions. That is a listener question. That's an interesting question. Yeah. I'm I love that one too. Yeah. That's one of those more woo questions, but I definitely I think that way too. Um I mean, I think one of the things about the throat chakras is, is if you think about it in a I think we all can relate to this, is it's really it's connected to communication. You know, so one of the things that I've learned about in my own life and, and seen in a lot of my clients is that sometimes trauma is, is a big part of, of illness also. And part of that, you know, going through trauma is, is, you know, for some people they just shut down mm-hmm. and, and, and through that process of, of, you know, trying to deal with, with the experiences they had, they, you know, one way of doing that, there's flight, fight or flight, but there's also just, you know, like some animals who think about them, like the possum will just play dead and totally shut down. And sometimes we do that metaphorically and, you know, and, and the choice we make is to just keep quiet because for whatever reason, maybe it was a survival mechanism at some point in your life, or, you know, that's Mm -hmm. how you got through that trauma. Yeah. So I think that is a very real part of that chakra is it's about communication and learning how to express your voice. Um, and, and to, to find your voice again, if, if that's true for you. You know, I, it's so interesting. My, I have a very ba- varied background. I went to Baylor University and then I did Teach for America. And then I became a full-time musician. I recorded, I got a record deer, like all of the things. Wow. So I'm somebody who has used my voice literally to sing. But then... After my diagnosis, I started doing a lot of reflection. I realized I have intellectualized all of my feelings and I've not felt them. And that has created a block. Mm -hmm. And then I started researching metaphysical manifestations, like what causes thyroid conditions. And one of the things that came up was unexpressed emotion. Mm, And I find that so interesting and so ironic that I am a singer. Like literally I've used my voice yet in my personal life, the trauma that I've experienced, and I've talked about it on this podcast, so that's not anything new, but the trauma that I've experienced, 
my way of dealing with that was to intellectualize it, you know, put it in these neat little boxes and then move on with my life without really doing the work of releasing it. Yeah. And so I think that is a really big part of my healing Mm -hmm. is expressing myself in ways or in areas that maybe I wouldn't have prior to August of last year. And I feel like that's opening up some channels of healing, which also leads into the next question. What kind of role do you think emotional trauma plays in thyroid health and recovery? Yeah, I think it's huge. I think it's a a really big issue. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that your doctor's probably not going to (laughs) consider. Not at all. They're probably not going to talk to you about what trauma you've gone through that led to your Hashimoto's. But I think it's a big factor. And, and, you know, the more I've learned in my life and more I've worked on myself, that's one of the things that I've um, had to face too, I think, is that, you know, that that emotion and trauma plays a a very, very real role. Mm -hmm. And that's another insight in Chinese medicine too. In, In Chinese medicine, they're, different emotions are associated with different organs and organ systems. Um, And the thyroid, interestingly, is the gland of the metal element, which is the lungs and the the large intestine. And the emotion that really impacts that most uh, dramatically is grief. So it's kind of unresolved grief and, and, you know, not properly mourning or, or not, you know, again, going back to trauma having a traumatic experience, but not, uh, really processing it or, or, um, you know, living through it. Oh, I I mean, I relate so deeply to all of that. And this conversation is so serendipitous too. In my meditation this morning, I felt this voice say to me, it's time to let go. Mm. And I think too, what I want to share in this conversation is I've been doing self-discovery work, self-improvement, personal development work for almost two decades now. And so what I want to encourage listeners in is this, it's a cyclical thing. It's not like you address it and it's done. And then you never, ever have to speak on it or look at it again. In Mm -hmm. my healing journey and in my experience, it's a cycle where you kind of go in a circle and each time you go in that circle, the circle becomes smaller and you get a little better and a little better and a little better. But for anybody that's feeling super discouraged that they haven't healed or haven't moved on from whatever emotional trauma they've experienced. I think that's normal. I think. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not something you just fix with a. Yeah. In one instance, usually, I mean, some people I guess do, but for most yeah. of us, it's the ongoing process of the ebbs and flows. Yesterday I did a post on this show. I was just thinking of, you know, reflecting on someone was critical of the saying, well, you can't heal Hashimoto's. Well, but I thought, well, healing is not a destination. You know, it's a journey. So we're all, we're traveling that, that journey and we're going to, there's times we're going to make progress. There's times we're going to, we're going to relapse a little bit or, you know, take a few steps forward and a step back. And that that's part of the process. And, and it doesn't mean you failed because you took a step back. It just means that's where you are in your journey, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's ongoing, I think for, our lifetime. And I feel like those setbacks for me have been frustrating initially, but upon further reflection, such an opportunity 
for me to go deeper. Exactly. And what I'm finding so profound about Hashimoto's is that it's teaching me how to treat myself in an infinitely more loving way. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Pro- I think that's, that's part of the process too. Is like it's if you do something happens that causes you to to slip, well, what what's going on underneath there? What is the emotional underpinning of that? What is the what what more work do you have to do in that area? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean I know we're talking about Hashimoto specifically, but I feel like for those of us that are suffering with health issues, what an opportunity it is, as frustrating as it is, to really learn how to treat ourselves. And if we can learn how to treat ourselves well, that is a springboard for any kind of goal we want to accomplish, any kind of dream we want to run after. Really, it kind of opens up the whole world. And I don't think for me, I don't think it was any coincidence that I was diagnosed at the time of my life that I was, because I feel like I was at a point where I needed to break through to the next level of my own understanding. And this has been such a giant propelling catalyst to do so. Yeah. (gasps) Oh, okay. Well, we're wrapping up. And I'm sad about that because I'm having conversation. We've had some, to some great topics here. Oh, good, 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 good. Well, anytime you want to come back on, you have an open invite. And if you want to promote a book, anything, you let me know. So this is the last question. For someone who feels like they have hit rock bottom with their thyroid issues, whether it's hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism, or Hashimoto's, what is one piece of hopeful advice that you have for them? Because you are such a uh, a distributor of hopeful solutions. And I appreciate that so much because so often when people talk about thyroid conditions, it is like humdrum, this is the worst, but it's not. Well, first of all, rock bottom is an incredible blessing, in my opinion, because you know, pain is the touchstone of growth. Desperation is sometimes a great motivator. So if you hit rock bottom, that's a good place to be because you can't, you're not going down any further. <laughs> and so yeah. that's a place, what that's a great place perspective to take inventory and like, okay, let's maybe now you're willing to take, you know, some drastic steps, like really changing your diet or really committing to, to the changes you need to make, you know, because a lot of times too, we'll hear these things and, you know, about learning, real learning is about changing your behavior. It's not about just hearing something and then intellectually understanding it, especially with, you know, regard to some of these health issues we're talking about. It's like some of this really requires behavioral change. So sometimes by hitting rock bottom, you like, you reach a place where, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to take those steps because what I have to lose now, you know? So I think that's, like I said, I think it's a blessing in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. What, what an steps to take, sorry, back to the steps to take, start with diet. Diet is the, is the foundation to any successful uh, approach, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And get your book because I know it's fantastic. I mean, this one, this really is, this is how to heal Hashimoto's. This is an encyclopedia full of so much digestible information. The way that you communicate 
thyroid education is very unique. I know that you are a doctor and a clinician, but you make it understandable for those of us that are potentially overwhelmed by the amount of information we need to take. Yeah, there's a lot of information. I mean, the other thing I do in that book is I I was painstaking to do a lot of research and find uh, evidence-based studies to support what I'm saying too. So there's a lot of information in there that you can take to your doctor and say, well, here, check, check out this study because they're all footnoted. You know, um, that's the other thing that's important that we have credible uh, research to back up what we're talking about. Well, I, Dr. Ryan, I just see you as such a trailblazer and I feel like you are giving so many of us who are struggling with this disease, such hope, and then also a roadmap and action steps of what we can do versus these complicated systems and articles and going to all of these different doctors, I feel like the way that you have presented this information and shared it is so unique and so incredibly and deeply helpful. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for creating this and doing the work that you do, because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is complicated and that has not been an easy road for you to walk. Yeah. Definitely it's complicated, but thank you. I really, that's, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the, you know, the thing is too, it's a combination of years and years of research and work and talking with people. Like you said, I talked with, I talked with a thousand people just for writing that book, a thousand people with Hashimoto's. And, you know, the other thing is too, like you said, it is about action steps. It's about, I think it's also, I think the knowledge is empowering, you know? So I want, mm-hmm. I put everything I knew at the time and I know no more, more now, but that book's a few years old, but at the time I didn't hold back. I put everything I knew in yeah. that book. So there's yeah. a lot of great information in there to understand how all these things interact and then some good action steps too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to link that book. I'm going to link your other book um, about your eating plan. And then how can people find you online and get in touch with you or book an appointment? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have a social media presence. I'm on Facebook at, at Hashimoto, Facebook forward slash Hashimoto's Healer. I'm on Instagram at, uh, I'm sorry, Hashimoto's Healing on Facebook, Hashimoto's Healer on Instagram. Um, uh, my website is Hashimoto'sHealing.com. So you can, anyone can email me at mark at Hashimoto'sHealing.com. I'll answer your, your email questions if you have them. Um, sometimes I respond faster to a direct message on social media because I try to post something daily or, or almost daily sure. there. So sure. That's a good place to reach me. Um, yeah, to make an appointment, you could just reach out that way and I'll, I'll send you a link. Um, I offer a, a free 30 minute consultation for people too, if they just want to do a strategy session and, and uh, pick my brain about uh, what's going on with them too. So that's also. Uh, yeah, I, the fact that you have made yourself so accessible also blows my mind <laughs> because. Every time I talk to someone, I learn more about it. So yeah. to me, it's, it's not a waste of my time. It's a very valuable use of my time because, mm. uh, you know, it's very complicated and everyone's different. So literally everyone I talk to, I learn something from. So I get a lot out of it too. So it's not just Good. selfish motivation. <laughs> well, I know I understand how that goes. Well, I will link all of those resources in the show notes. I'll also link to your social media profiles and 
again, Dr. Ryan, what a blessing you are. And thank you so much for sharing this information so freely and so generously because it's literally changing people's lives, including mine. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I really enjoyed it.